Good morning, everyone. Good to see you again. And uh, welcome back to our Lightboat uh, Sunday morning broadcast. We're going to turn to Mark's Gospel this morning, Mark chapter 1. And we're going to begin our reading at verse 21. Mark chapter 1 and verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue, and he taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority, and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. And he said, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him and said, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into a house, or the house of Simon and Andrew, with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand, and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at Eden, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the, the devils or the demons to speak because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there he prayed. Let's, let's pray and seek the Lord's face as we look at this portion of Scripture this morning. Our Father, we thank you again this morning for your love towards sinful man. We thank you, Lord God, that we're still living in the day of grace. Men and women still have the opportunity to call upon your name and be saved and be prepared for eternity. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who paid our fine and full on Calvary's cross. And when he cried, it is finished, it meant that there was nothing more that we needed to do except repent and trust in you. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, your wonderful plan of salvation is available to the whosoever this morning. And so, Lord, we just pray that you'll come very near to us now as we again look at your word. We thank you, Lord, that when we pray, we are speaking to God. But when we read your word and meditate upon your word, that is when God speaks to us. And Lord, we pray that even in our own homes this morning, that you will come and draw very near and speak to us, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. One Sabbath morning, early in the Lord's ministry, Jesus enters the synagogue here in Capernaum with four of his disciples. Capernaum was on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. It was a hometown of fishermen, Peter and Andrew, and James and John. And perhaps Jesus had been invited to spend the weekend with these men. After the service that morning, he could have spent the afternoon with the rabbi. He could have spent the afternoon with some rich folk or even some important people. But to the Lord Jesus, these humble fishermen were important. And so he goes home 
with them. In the service that morning, Jesus teaches the people with power and authority. But as he preaches the word, he is interrupted by a demon-possessed man. Verse 23 says that the man with an unclean spirit cried out. Clearly, it was in opposition and protest at the word that was being preached, which the people were fully understanding. We should never be surprised if our open-air preaching stirs up anger in those who hate the word being preached. And of course it often does. And this is often the reason. It is because of demons. This is the reason why so many of our evangelical churches today have abandoned the streets. It seems now that they have no appetite for the battle of spiritual warfare which street preaching will create. Demons are the fallen angels that joined with Satan to rebel against God in heaven. These demons have the power to dominate a person's will so that they have no ability to do right and to obey God. It is sometimes referred to as demon possession. Demonic activity was widespread when the Lord walked this earth, but I believe that people today can suffer greatly from demonic influence. How else could you explain some of the barbarity that goes on in today's society? Where else could some of the world's ruthless dictators, for example, get the desire to kill millions of their own people? During the Troubles, where else would terrorists and balaclavas have got the desire to kidnap innocent people, shoot them in the back of the head, bury them in some shallow grave in some remote bog or beach? Where else would terrorists in shirts and ties and suits in governments today get the desire to pass laws to butcher and burn little babies in the womb? Make no mistake, friends, demons greatly influence people today. It's just that Satan strategically and cunningly keeps his army undercover. Otherwise, people would know there is a spirit word. They would be convinced of an eternal God and they would be concerned where they might be in the afterlife. Satan doesn't want people thinking about the things of God or to be concerned about their eternal soul. However, when Jesus walked this earth, the Lord was so holy, he was so righteous, he was so sinless, the demons just couldn't help but break their cover. And that's why there is so much evidence of demonic activity here in the Gospels. Can demons possess Christians today? Well, no, they cannot. You see, we belong to another. We are already indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit. And Paul said to the Romans, sin shall not have dominion over us. Can demons attack, even influence Christians from the outside today? Well, yes, they can. Can they tempt us? Yes, they can. Can they oppress us? Yes, they can. Can they destroy our ministry? You better believe they can. I know there's been a lot of debate around this subject, but Paul said that he was given a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan came to buffet him. This was likely a demon-possessed false apostle seeking to destroy Paul's ministry and work in Corinth. You see, Paul had came under demonic attack. But he was not demon-possessed. He couldn't be. He belonged to God. He was covered in the blood. And God will not allow more than we can handle. Yes, he may permit the demons to harass us and to tempt you and to cause you great distress. But he won't give you more than you can take. There is always a way out. 
and there is always a good reason for it. For Paul, it was to keep him from uh, getting too proud. It was to keep him humble after all his God-given revelations, which included, by the way, a trip to heaven. Now think about that. Which of us wouldn't boast about a bit getting a trip to heaven? And there's been books printed uh, of people claiming to have been to heaven. God allowed this messenger of Satan, this demonic attack, which was the thorn being driven through his otherwise proud flesh. Brothers and sisters, we have an enemy who tries to destroy us every single day of the week. So it's very important that we continue to lift the shield of faith daily and quench those fiery darts. If you're listening and you're not a Christian yet, then the reality is demons can take you over completely. You might even be greatly influenced by demons today. The only thing to keep the demons away is the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. If you were to examine the words of the demons throughout the Gospels, you could actually construct a statement of faith from what they say. You see, demons believe in God. They believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. They believe in the Bible. Oh, they hate the Bible, but they believe every single word of it. They believe in the return of Christ. They believe in a final judgment. But demons are beyond redemption. Just because, you see, you believe that something is true doesn't mean that you've submitted your life to it. And that is where religious people have gone wrong today. Oh, they believe it, but they have not submitted to it and they have not surrendered to the king. Everywhere Jesus went, the demons affirmed the Lord's authority and they declared things like, you are the Holy One of God, you are the Son of the Most High God. And they often fell down and they worshipped him. Oh, they hated him. They loathed his word, but they were powerless to do anything except worship him. It reminds us that very soon, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, whether we belong to him or whether we don't. The demons believe and they tremble, you see. They shudder at the very mention of his name and it freaks them out. Christians have great reason to be encouraged because if one third of the angels fell with Satan, and became demons, well, that means that two-thirds remained loyal to God on the side of Christ and on our side as well. The day Jesus cast a demon out of a member of the congregation was a day that these church folk in Capernaum would never forget. The service probably went over the hour a little that morning, but I don't believe any one of them would have complained. Peter and Andrew not only bring their friends home from the service, but very wisely they bring the Lord home as well. And what a good example that is for us to follow. Always bring the Lord home with you from church. And of course, with a world full of demons, we are sure, certainly going to need him the rest of the week. So the men enter into Peter and Andrew's house here. The disciples are probably expecting the dinner to be nearly ready and maybe looking forward to throwing the feet up and getting a head down for a wee snooze on the Sabbath afternoon. However, they discover that Peter's mother-in-law is ill with a fever. And today I want us to look at this unexpected situation in this humble home in Capernaum on what was or should have been a normal Sabbath afternoon. First of all, we see here the request 
for a miracle. And what another great example the friends of Peter's wife's mother give to us here. Now a quick read through verses 29 and 30 and you would automatically think that it was the brothers Peter and Andrew that made the request to the Lord for help. But I believe and I think it was the others that were already in the house here before the Lord had actually arrived. Perhaps the others included the the town physician. Maybe other family members were present. No doubt Peter's wife was there. After all, it was her house. Maybe her sisters were there as well. But whoever was there, I have no doubt that they were doing their very best to tend to the needs of this very sick lady. In fact, if you were to read the same story in Luke chapter 4, it says that she had a great fever. This was a very serious situation. Maybe they tried all sorts of medication to, to bring the fever down, make her more comfortable and, and help her to get better again. But it looks like nothing they did was working. Perhaps a few of them sat silently praying that God would come and intervene, maybe touch her and heal her and restore to her full health and strength again. And then Jesus arrives here on the scene. He enters into the house and in faith they quickly tell Jesus of her condition. Luke says that they besought him. In other words, they begged, they implored him to help. They fully expected that Jesus would take control and do the miracle. You know, folks, doctors and nurses have their place. Counselors, social workers, psychiatrists have their place. Trusted friends and lawyers have their place. We could never do without them. But friends, always, 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 in every situation, the first thing to be done is to cry to the Lord Jesus Christ for help. I believe there are folk that have been listening to these broadcasts from the Lifeboat Fellowship, and you're you're just like Peter's mother-in-law. You're ill, maybe physically, but certainly and definitely spiritually. You're sick with sin and you need the Lord to intervene. Like Peter's mother-in-law, you may have a good circle of friends around you and a family that loves you and they're doing their best to help you. But at the end of the day, you still need the Lord. If your friends and family are not saved, then they are as spiritually sick as you are. There is no one so effective. There is no one so loving toward you. There is no one so compassionate, no one so willing to help you as the Lord Jesus Christ is. When Peter was drowning in the Sea of Galilee, he cried, Lord, save me. When Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus fell sick and was dying, they immediately sent for Jesus. And when Jairus' daughter was dying in her bed, Jairus came looking for the Lord. And, you know, Jesus helped every single one of them. Friend, do you know what the definition of death is? Death is the wages of your sin. You see, we have all broken God's moral law, the Ten Commandments. God has pronounced us guilty. In fact, the Bible says you're already condemned. If you're in the middle of the road this morning and a bus came speeding toward you, you would obviously do your best to jump out of the way. But friend, worse than that, death is coming to you. And it may come to you sooner than you think. And it is most important that you get out of the way. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You need to cast all your care upon him. Only he can save you and only he can forgive you. We live in a world of uncertainty. 
Sin and sorrow is everywhere. Sickness and bereavement, persecution and death imposes itself into our lives, always uninvited. We need to get ready. We need to be prepared to do what they did in Peter's house and immediately come to the Lord. Last week, people received a letter from HMRC advising them to get ready to claim the COVID income support scheme. And so millions of self-employed people immediately got ready to make the claim. My friends, God's word it tells us to, to get ready to make the claim for your, your inheritance in heaven. God's word says, prepare to meet God. And yet millions can't be bothered. Millions of people are simply not interested. Secondly, we see here the rendering of the miracle. This miracle reveals the Lord's compassion for those in all types of need. He had spent the morning in the synagogue preaching the word and ministering to the needs of the soul. He then commands a, a demon out of a man, and now he casts a fever out of a woman. No problem is too great or too small for the Lord. No difficulty in anyone's life is beyond his capabilities to fix and to put right. He created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. He commanded the winds to cease and the waves to be calm. In fact, he used a boy's lunch to feed 5,000 people, and he healed the dead, the deaf, the dumb, the demonic, the bleeding, and the blind. So if he can do all these things and help all these types of people, then he will help you as he helped Peter's mother-in-law. He gently took her by the hand. He lifted her up and we're told that immediately the fever left her. It was a miracle and everyone witnessed the miracle. Actually, if you were to read the same story in Luke's gospel, you would discover that in chapter 4, verse 39, that Jesus rebuked the fever. And that suggests that there was some type of demonic influence responsible for her fever, which was capable of receiving a rebuke from the Lord. Then, as if to confirm the miracle that had taken place, Peter's mother-in-law immediately rises and ministers unto them. You know, one of the symptoms of COVID-19 is, is a fever. And you will know by now that it takes weeks, many weeks, for a person to fully recover from the coronavirus. In fact, I was chatting to a friend the other day and she had COVID-19 about seven weeks ago and she still feels the effects of it today. I think it took our Prime Minister four weeks, at least four weeks, to fully recover, despite the best of attention from the very best of doctors and nurses. And yet, when we read this story... Jesus comes into this hospital ward. He, he, he takes the patient by the hand. He lifts her up and immediately the fever leaves her. And not only that, she ministers to them. It should have been the others ministering to her, nursing her fragile, weak body back to health. But no, it was the other way around. It was her that got up and made the dinner for everyone else. Not only was the fevered woman made well in a moment, but in that same moment made perfectly strong and able to work. You know, the same hand that healed her was able to strengthen her. And friend, the same hand that healed her is able to heal you today. 
What a great physician the Lord Jesus Christ is. And I am so glad this morning to do to declare that he is my family doctor. He not only gives mercy and forgiveness for sins in the past, but he also grants strength to minister to him and for him in the future. We are saved by him to serve for him, and what an honour and a great privilege it is to do that. We're not saved, of course, by our good works, but we desire to do good works because we have been saved. Isn't serving the Lord one of the best ways to thank him for all that he has done for us? When we think of all the filth that he's lifted us out of and the abundant life that he's now given us and the sins he continues to forgive us, then the very least we can do is serve him. In these few verses, actually, we, we see an illustration of the journey each poor lost sinner must take if they want to become a child of God. Peter's mother-in-law was lying on a bed, terribly ill, perhaps dying. People worked around her, doing their best to help her, but man's remedies did nothing to cure her. The Bible says we are all sinners. We are lying on a sick bed of sin with no ability to help ourselves. Religion is all around us, doing its very best to instruct us and to help us. It says, do this, do that, do the other, but nothing seems to work. The fever remains and the sick get weaker. You see, religion is your attempt to go and to reach out to God. But Christianity is different. Biblical Christianity is Jesus Christ coming in, reaching out to you. And in this Sabbath afternoon, God reached out. Jesus, he came into the house through the crowd, took the, the lady by the hand and he lifted her. Now, she could have said to Jesus that morning to go away. Some other day, I'll, I'll be all right at the moment. I have my own rabbi. I have my own, my own doctor. I have my own fellowship here around me to help me. But crucially, she didn't say that. She didn't resist the Lord's help. And you know, I've met thousands of people, though, that do just that. They continue to resist the Lord's help. And they will say things like, I have my own minister. I have my own church. I have my own religion. But friend, I need to remind you, it wasn't religion that died on a tree. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you put into the hand of your minister, or indeed your priest, or your religious leader, the deeds of your house, or put into their hand your lifetime savings? No, you would not. So why, why would you even think about putting into their hands this morning your eternal soul, which is far, far more precious. Friend, do not resist the Lord Jesus. He is reaching out to you this morning. So put into his hand alone your eternal soul and let him lift you up. What kind of problem do you have in your life today, friend? What situation do you have that you think it would take a miracle to solve? Do you have unconfessed sins that you need to be forgiven? Well, let Jesus take you by the hand and lift you up. Do you struggle with temptation that continually crushes you with guilt? Well, let Jesus take you by the hand and lift you up. Are you struggling with some hidden type of addiction? Well, friend, is not hidden from the Lord. So let Jesus take you by the hand and lift you up. 
Do you fear for your fitness, your family, your friends, your finances and your future? Well, let Jesus take you by the hand this morning and lift you up. You see, whatever your need, whatever your situation, whatever your background, whatever your burden, friend, let the Lord Jesus take you by the hand and lift you up. Cast all your care upon him. And he promises, he promises he will care for you. Peter's whole family were greatly blessed that day. His mother-in-law's fever was gone. His wife's worst fears of losing her mother to this virus was completely vanished. And everyone else in the house had seen the power of God and were definitely spoken to. If Peter hadn't left the family fishing business to go and follow and serve the Lord, then the light of the world would not have been in his house that Sabbath afternoon. His mother-in-law would not have been healed. His family would have remained in darkness. And all his neighbours would have continued in their suffering. Wonder is God calling you this morning to follow him? And you've got a list of reasons and excuses as to why you simply cannot go. Well, Peter, he had a wife. He had a business. He had a house to keep. But Jesus called him to be a disciple and later on to be an apostle. And so he went. Oh, of course, we know he stumbled and he fell and he made a fool of himself and he let the Lord down. But he still went. He still went. You go. Friend, if you sense the call of God upon your life, if you have a daughter or even a son-in-law like Peter that is thinking about Bible college or a, maybe a husband like Peter that wants to step out in faith to serve God full time, then you make sure that you give them your 100% support. Don't be a stumbling block. At the end of the day, you will end up being the winner because God will not let you down. God will give what you need when you need it the most and your whole family, in fact, your whole, your whole community will be blessed. Because as we see here, finally, the result, what the result of the miracle was. You know, at last, we're beginning to see some of the restrictions that have been put in place because of COVID-19 beginning to ease. Cemeteries, as you'll know, have reopened. Garden centres are due to open tomorrow. And there is a five-stage programme put in place to get us back to some form of normality. The Jewish Sabbath ended at sundown. And this also marked the easing of the restrictions unnecessarily placed upon the people. For example... It was against the Jewish rabbinic law to walk more than two-thirds of a mile and to carry any burden such as a stretcher on the Sabbath. Word of what had happened, the demon-possessed man in the synagogue that morning and what had happened to Peter's mother-in-law in the afternoon, it had spread like wildfire throughout the community. And as soon as darkness fell and restrictions were lifted in verses 33 and 34, we see that the whole city appeared at Peter's door. A great hope was stirred up in the hearts of other sufferers and their curs. They must have thought to themselves, well, if this man Jesus can cast out demons and can heal the sick, then surely he can help me. And of course, they were right. So all the sick people and all the demon-possessed people, it seems now, were brought to the Lord Jesus. And guess what? He healed every single one of them. He didn't turn anyone away. Those who came to him alone received help from him alone. 
no matter how bad the situation was for that poor soul or how long they'd been in that wretched condition, Jesus was able to deal with them all. Sinner, thankfully today, there is no restrictions in place regarding coming to the Lord Jesus for salvation. I once watched an old lady approach the confessional box in a Dublin chapel and she turned away in disappointment from from the confessional box because when she got to the door there was a sign on the door which read that the priest had gone for lunch. Friend, Jesus Christ is our great high priest and the only one with the authority to forgive our sin and to save our souls. And the Lord does not do tea breaks. I want to tell you this morning, he is available 24-7 and he will never turn you away. In fact, the only time he will turn you away is if you reject him as your saviour and die in your sin. And only then will he say, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. No matter how wicked your sin or how long you've been in your sin, Jesus will deal with all your sin. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. If he will heal the sick and cast out the demons, he will forgive your sin and he will save your soul. Maybe you're thinking this morning, well, yes, I need to do something about this. And when this coronavirus is over, and when the restrictions are lifted, I'll get my life sorted out and I'll get back to church. Well, friend, how do you know you're going to last that long? How do you know, in fact, you'll not be killed in a car accident that morning you decide that you'll go to church? And then what? It'll be too late then. You see, you need to get on your knees today. You need to cry out for God's mercy and forgiveness today. The people here in Capernaum, they didn't wait to be cured. When they heard what Jesus did in the synagogue and what he did in the house, They went to him that very same day. They didn't wait. They couldn't wait. Friend, don't wait to be saved. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Let us note also the clear distinction here in verse 32 that is made between the diseased and the demonized. While Satan will cause physical affliction, not all sickness is the result of demonic power. And that's why we still need our doctors and our nurses. Jesus did not allow the demons to speak here. He always rebuked the demons for their testimonies about him. He needed no help or assistance from them. It was his teaching. It was his actions and not the impure words of demons that would proclaim who Jesus really was. Oh, they knew him all right. They were once with Jesus in heaven. They were created by him as perfect angels. They had served him, but then they rebelled against him. And now they would eternally regret it in a fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Friend, if you're a believer this morning, please don't arrive in heaven with any regrets. Give God everything you've got now. Because the Bible says, work while it is day, for the night cometh when no man can work. And if you're not saved, if you're an unbeliever today, if you're still lost today, don't arrive in that awful place of torment with terrible, terrible regrets. Do something about your condition today. The Bible says we receive the gift of God, which is eternal life, 
by repenting of our sin and trusting in the giver of life, the saviour of souls, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see here in verse 35 that Jesus leaves Peter's house early the following morning. It was probably before four o'clock in the morning and long before anyone else was awake. The Greek verb indicates that they kept on bringing people to him. So he was probably up late the night before helping people. But not even that was going to delay his appointment with God the Father the following morning. You know, it is no surprise that Jesus displayed such great authority as he taught the people and displayed such great power as he healed the people when his prayer life was so disciplined. And friends, if we want to serve God effectively, if we want to achieve great things for God, and if we want to make the slightest impact for God and start to fight back at the enemy, then we've got to depart to the solitary places and pray. And we must begin that today. God says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You know, folks, I don't need to tell you that our land is badly broken today. And only God can heal it. You know, I grew up in the in the troubles, but I can't ever remember anyone specifically and deliberately targeting children. But if past statistics are anything to go by, then more human beings will die in the next two years because of abortion than ever died during 40 years of trouble. Is that progress? Do unborn children think that they have benefited from Northern Ireland's peace process? Our land is not only broken, it is completely shattered. The truth is there never will be real peace until wicked men and women bow the knee to the Prince of Peace and repent of their sin. And so we must pray. And the Lord Jesus going out here a great while before day to pray in a solitary place is where we must all start. And it is the best example to us all this morning. So let us pray. Father, again we thank you this morning for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for your precious word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you reminded us that no problem, great or small, uh, you can deal. You, is, is any problem to you, Lord? You can deal with it all. We thank you, Lord, that there is no sin that you can't forgive, and we thank you, Lord, that there is no sinner that you cannot see. So, Lord, we just pray that you'll continue to bless our fellowship, bless our listeners, especially those that have joined us perhaps for the first time this morning. And we would call upon the God of all creation this morning to remember our land today. Bring evil to an end, whether it's the coronavirus, whether it's abortion. And Lord, bring revival to our land and save precious souls. So Lord, we thank you for this 
time together this morning. We thank you again for your precious, precious word. And we pray that you'll continue to bless our loved ones throughout this week. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.